0: family and welcome to Kingwood Methodist. In John 4 23, Jesus states that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. As we gather at church and open God's Word, we are not just coming together for the sake of gathering, but also to learn the truth of God and how we can grow to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we continually surrender our lives to the Word of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the types of worshipers our Heavenly Father seeks. Let's dive in together. All right, kiddos, if y'all want to head out to Children's Church, now is the time for you to... Well, golly. Ooh. And if you're a child of heart, you can go as well. Just know that you have to sit on the floor and that may deter you from... It's not the sitting down that bothers me, it's the getting up, right? So today's text, I want to do something a little different. Um, Usually we'll stand, we'll read the scripture, then there'll be a sermon. Um, Today, um, I'm not going to ask you to stand for the text, not because um, it's less holy or important, but just simply because there's 22 verses and I want to kind of unpack it as we go through. I'd like the text to be the sermon today. I'd like to do something a little different, which is just walk through the text and let the text speak because there's so many marvelous things within this Lucan text. We're in the 50 days after the resurrection in the church calendar before we get to Pentecost, which is the last Sunday of May. There's 40 days in Lent, but there's 50 days in post-resurrection. That should give us a hint that, yes, there's importance to self-reflection, but the resurrection is just a little bit more important. In fact, everything hinges on the resurrection, everything. And so today we're going to unpack that. And, And before we move into that Luke text, I want to kind of just remind us of what's peculiar about Luke. In the Gospel of Luke, what we're going to encounter in a few minutes is the very first text that encounters a resurrected Christ with any of the disciples. And and that's what's really fascinating in in Luke chapter 24 verses 1 through 12, Jesus, uh, Mary goes to the garden and she sees someone in dazzling white. But she doesn't encounter Jesus. Now when you look in Matthew and you look at Mark and you look at John, you have Mary Magdalene encountering the risen Christ. And then um, in different passages, for example, the Gospel of John uh, records that Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved, who is John, raced to the tomb, but the Jesus, the disciple whom Jesus loved got there first. It's like he wanted everybody to know that the fastest disciple was John, right? Mark is interesting because Mark will tell us in um, the post-resurrection experience that He also appeared to two on the country, so there's almost an allusion in Mark to what we're going to read in Luke. You can visit Emmaus today. Uh, Emmaus is a place that's about seven miles, you're going to hear, south of Jerusalem. Uh, This is what it looks like in what's known as the remains of Emmaus. It's a Byzantine church in a whole area that was set up, and it's really fascinating what that looks like today. You can see where um, there was a courtyard, et cetera. Have we got that picture we can put up for? Oh, it's not working? Okay. In your mind's eye. (laughs) But you can visit it today, and you can see what that looks like. And there are very few places that when you visit, you can say Jesus appeared with certainty or walked. This is one of those places where we can't say with a great deal of certainty, but it's what it commemorates, and that is the encounter of Christ. So some things before we ever get to the text, and then you're going to have to get out your Bible because we're going to walk through text, or your phone or something, because we're going to have to walk through, and you won't have the convenience of the screen as they're trying to figure that out now. But in Luke chapter 24, here's some things I want you to watch for. The first thing I want you to watch for as you get in Luke is... Where were the disciples, where were Cleopas, who's named, and the other disciple? And by the way, the unnamed disciple, I wonder that's sort of an ability for us to find ourselves in that text. You know, maybe you're the one that's walking with Cleopas. A lot of historians say it was his wife. I mean, it doesn't say who it was. So it gives us a chance to read ourselves into the text, but think of this. They're leaving Jerusalem. Their backs are to the resurrection, and Jesus will still find them. Don't miss that in the text. They're not walking to the resurrection. They're walking away from it. The second thing we're going to impact is how much the knowledge they have about what happened. I want you to really watch for that. It's fascinating to know how much they have the head knowledge. They know what's happened. And then we're going to look at a couple of texts that are incredibly just transformative that really everything hinges on. But I just want to let the text speak today and walk through the text. So if you've got your Bible app out, we're going to start in verse 13 of Luke chapter 24. If you have your Bible, you can get your Bible out. And it is up. Ah, there we go. So this is what that area looks like. And then... Um, during different times you're going to see the next slide which is when we actually go over that's the actual altar table and you see the cross that's on the background there that's in the what remains of the chapel they took some of the uh, the um, the archaeological remains and they sort of reconstructed what the floor and a wall of the chapel would look like and it's really moving even though we don't know it's exactly the place right but to read that passage and Purvis Harper I remember was the one on the trip we last took that read that at that place And to read what that means. So here's what the text tells us, okay? Let the text speak, and you're going to find some amazing things about this story. First, uh, verse 13, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus. Let's stop. That same day, what day would it be? Third day. Or third day people, so it's the resurrection day. And the text is going to remind you of this in case you missed it. About seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Now, verse 16 perplexes a lot of people. They were kept from recognizing him. I often I say time and time again, when you come to a place that the text is difficult to understand, keep reading. Underline what's there and let the text speak. When you do the biblical study, this word that they were kept from recognizing them is not that Jesus sort of spiritually put his hand over their eyes. It's not that Jesus didn't appear who he was. And this is not sort of a hide-and-seek thing. You're going to find that the text is going to tell you a little bit later exactly why they were kept from seeing him. Then the text will speak. But Jesus walks alongside him. So get this, get this grace. They're walking away from the resurrection. They were talking to each other about everything that happened. We're going to unpack that. And Jesus walks with them. That's grace. That even when you walk away, Christ will walk beside. And then as we wrap up this text about these questions on the way to the cross, on the journey to the cross, here comes the question from Jesus. What are you discussing as you, uh, together as you walk along. What are you talking about? And they stood still. And their faces were downcast. And then one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? And Jesus is awesome. He takes it to a whole new level. Well, well, what things? Now put a pause in that. Just think, what if this person text is the reminder to us that anytime time we struggle God's okay with our questions. God, do you not care what's going on? And maybe God's wanting to say, well well, what's going on? Talk to me about it. So Jesus is in, he already knows, he's the resurrected Christ. They don't recognize who he is and he's just inviting them well, well, well what things? What are y'all talking about? Tell me a little more about that and they get an A-plus in the next few verses. About Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people, and the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. A-plus, absolutely A-plus. Is there anything wrong with what the stories they've told so far? Have they absolutely nailed the story? They know the story. If you want to find where most of our hang-up happens in our faith, and in these folks, it's the next four words. If you're comfortable writing your Bible, writing it. If you want to tap, you can highlight in Bible Gateway. Verse 21 says, But we had hoped. But we had hoped that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. Wow. So hang on to that thought. Because now... Tell me how accurate they tell the story. And what's more, it's the third day since all of this took place. Last week on campus, we really emphasized we're third day people. Third day people, resurrection people. God does amazing things on third days. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb earlier this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. A plus on the details, right? But we had hoped. They get everything right about Jesus' crucifixion, about his bodily resurrection, but they had hoped. You see what might be causing their blind eyes? You see, it wasn't what Jesus did to them. It was that they were so focused on something different they couldn't see. Even though they knew the story, they couldn't see how it impacted their life. That's us. We know the story. It's often, it says, well, I need to read the Bible. Maybe you need to let the Bible read you. Let the text read your life. Jesus says to them, how foolish you are. And now slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And then verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. They still don't recognize it's Jesus. He's going to the Old Testament, right? Remember, they don't have the New Testament. I know that may be obvious, but... It's all of the Old Testament references. Maybe it was Isaiah. By his stripes we are healed, right? Maybe it was a little bit of a Jonah remembering that salvation will come to the Jews and the Gentiles. Maybe it was Joel. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We, don't to- we aren't told, but he went through all the scriptures that refer to him as the Messiah. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued as if he was going on a little farther. I love that line. I've got it underline in every Bible I have. Jesus is always going on a little farther. Still, are their eyes opened? No. They know it. They've been in conversation with it. they got A plus on the details. Except for we had hoped he would redeem Israel. And then he acted like he was going on further, but they strongly the urge to stay with us for it's nearly evening. The day's almost over, and so he went in to stay with them. I don't know what's going on with this text at this point. I don't want to psychologize a text. I don't want to turn into Oprah here or Dr. Phil, okay? I don't want to do that to the text. But, but I do want to lean into this part of it. Do you see the humanity of the resurrected Christ? He's staying engaged with these disciples who backs are still the resurrection, who've answered all the questions correctly, who still do not recognize, even after having the best Bible teacher that ever existed, give them a Bible lesson, right? There's cliff notes from the Son of God. It doesn't get any better than that, right? Still. And so he's at the table with him. It's dinner time. And he takes the bread. He gives thanks. He breaks the bread. And he begins to give it to them. Now, this is not Holy Communion, but if you, do you recognize the language? He takes the bread. He breaks the bread. He gives thanks to God. He gives it to them. Here's what's fascinating about this text, okay? This is where I nerd out too often. But I'm going to nerd out with you and help you see what I'm seeing so in jewish tradition if you were the visitor you would not do the distributing of anything you would be the recipient right you would be the recipient everybody else would serve you they'd watch what does jesus do he becomes the one who actually becomes the host at the table i mean the text is clear i know they're traveling but hey come on stay with us it's not like hey stay with us and do you mind doing the dishes and cleaning the dinner and buying the pizza I mean, the implication in Jewish tradition is if you're a traveler and we invite you to come with us, you will be our guest. Jesus flips the table. And no, doesn't he do that all the time? That when we invite him to our table, he will be the one who serves us. Verse 31. If you don't know anything else, verse 31. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight that it's in the breaking of the bread. Now, there's, there's no Eucharistic language here. There's no Holy Communion, Great Thanksgiving language here, right? But, but they recognize him in the breaking of the bread. That's what I hope for everybody. That That's what I hope every time you come, that you recognize Christ in the breaking of the bread. The bread's a little, I'll warn you today, it's, a, it's, it's just a little more crumbly. And so don't miss the image of grace that by the time three or four of you have already had communion, the floor is going to be pretty messy. And I love the imagery that we, we honor the elements, but we believe them to be ordinary bread and ordinary juice. But don't miss the imagery that God's okay with this mess, and he's okay with your mess. And I don't want us to keep trying. I don't want us to try and build a church where everybody... Puts on a mask to say everything's okay. I want to build a church where people come authentic and true and honest. And if we're really going to get there, we've got to have more of our men, more of our women, more of our youth, more of our children constantly involved in those groups and gatherings where they know they can just simply say, This is where I need some help. This is what God's doing in my life. They said to each other in verse 32 were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us i mean I could, I could i could i could break out a separate sermon on each one of these for weeks listen to what they say were not our hearts burning within us when he opened the scriptures to us in other words before they recognized who he was god was already at work opening their eyes to the scriptures You see, it doesn't depend upon you getting it figured out. It's grace. God's constantly reaching to you, constantly wanting to take every environment, circumstance, and situation, in in the spirit of Romans 8, to create it for good, to to redeem it, to, to help you know his love and his presence with you. Well, their hearts were burning while they were learning the scriptures, but they still didn't recognize him. That's called in, in our Methodist tradition, Wesley. We call it prevenient grace. All grace is the same, but there's a whole element of grace that God's grace is moving, and we're not even aware of it. But when we look back, we go, "Oh, that was God. That was God. That was God." Now, see if they pass the test. Do they still get the hundred percent? They return to Jerusalem at once. They find the eleven and those with them assembled together, saying, "It's true." The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Again, let the text speak. Did Jesus tell anything about appearing to Simon? Did he say to them, hey guys, insider, I also saw Simon. Okay, so they know the whole story. Because they're telling him we knew the whole story. And yet they didn't recognize Christ. Oftentimes you and I know the entire story, but we miss Christ. Because we had hoped. For something different. We had hoped that God would do it this way. It's true. The Lord's risen. He's appeared to Simon, and the two told everybody else what happened to them on the way and how Jesus was recognized them when he broke the bread. And they tell their story. That's all we've got to do, friends. Post resurrection is tell our story. We just tell our story. If we've got to back up, let's show that uh, picture of the Bible there in the chapel. I want that to be the imagery as as I share some things with you. First, um, as we have become a part of the Global Methodist Church, uh, I'm part of the leadership of that now as the organizer. I'm now the chair of the Board of Ministry. Jim Welch is our pro tem. Been Mm -hmm. intimately involved with the leadership needs within our conference. We have more churches than we have clergy. And so we have, we have churches that have no pastors. And Lady has been amazing to step up and fill, but we've needed people. Joe Carbonero has been going to Cold Spring uh, several weeks to help preach. Wayne Pickering, chair of the SPRC committee, got caught up in a conversation with Carol Bruce, who is a retired Methodist pastor who attends our church with her husband, Mark, who's an area elder and responsible for a lot of churches and getting them filled, and said, I need help in Buna, Texas. They don't have a pastor. And so um, Wayne said, "Well, I don't, I don't preach." And well, I'm not asking you to preach. I'm just going to ask him. Tell, will you go tell them about who Jesus is to you? Wayne retired as a lawyer, but three years ago, he had a double lung transplant. We took his name with us and planned, like many people do. We approached the Western Wall when we were there. And uh, this is a trip that Clint was on, Nancy Kozad was on. We put his name in the western wall, as many people do, that afternoon. And I'm not Harry Pottering this, okay? I'm just saying, when we leave it before God, God has a way of moving. And Wayne had a full double lung transplant in his back singing in the choir. And all Carol said is, "We well, just tell him about what Jesus has done in your life. So on Palm Sunday and on Easter, the chair of the Staff Parish Relations Committee, a layperson, went and preached at Buna, And this morning, I almost talked Scott Watson into going up there next week. So uh, Ryan was giving me a little wingman, the liturgical wingman there. We almost got him there. So if you hear us refer to Reverend Watson, we, uh, <laughs> maybe Kimberly needs to go up there and tell them what Jesus has done in their life. Can you? That's all you have to do. Just tell people what Jesus has done in your life. So when I get ready to leave this little chapel area, I'll close with this. you get ready to leave this little chapel area, and I notice there's a table, and sometimes when you translate from English uh, into other languages or other languages into English, the words don't always quite translate. And this is what the table that's actually meant to be, the offering table looks like. See, there's a little slot where you put the, where you put your shekels or things in, or you put your prayer concerns in, and it says "intentions." And I got to thinking, what? That's not the right word, you know. And I okay, God, what do I, need to, what do I need to know at this moment? And, you know, what are your intentions? I just love, maybe that is what God needs there. That what's your intention? You've heard of the resurrected Christ. You experienced the resurrected Christ. You know the whole story. What's your intention when you leave a mass? Are you going to share the story of what God has done in your life? And and maybe you're at that season where you haven't quite got it figured out. Here's the great news. God doesn't care about your ability. He only cares about your availability. God doesn't call the people that are already equipped, that have done enough study or preparation. God equips those he calls. Uh, Did I tell you that Wayne Pickering was a retired lawyer who hadn't had a single class in preaching? Did I tell you that he actually just went and told people what Jesus had done in his life. If Wayne can drive two hours to Buna, Texas on Palm Sunday and Easter and be the preacher and come back intact, excited, m- maybe you can do something. Now, I'm not going to ask you to go preach somewhere. Don't, don't, don't turn your back on me walk but, but I'm asking you, where can Christ and his love be shared through you for others. And you don't have to predict where they're gonna spend eternity because that's not your call. You don't have to fix every problem. All you have to do is say, I don't know, but this is who this is who God is to me and this is what Christ has done for me. And let me tell you the most important thing in your witness you need to tell. Tell them about the broken parts that aren't fixed that still are hurting. Tell them about what's not yet figured out. Don't you dare try to tell somebody that because you love Jesus, everything's worked out fine. You're back in skinny jeans. You got all your hair and the kids are making straight A's. And the 401k didn't take a dip like everybody else's because that's how we love the Lord. Don't you dare do that. You tell them the 401k sucketh. (laughs) The kids are kind of struggling with them right now. The job, it's boring. You know, we're going through life stage stuff. Tell them the crappy stuff. Let me be real honest. Tell them the crappy stuff. And tell them a God who's with you. Even in the midst when you're knee deep in that stuff. Because he loves you. He's never going to let go of you. Tell them about that God. Because that's who the God we serve and who loves us really is.